Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Is a voice that has yet been heard. That is producer, producer Chris. Chris. Woo What's going on, Luke? What you uh, been up to? A lot of a uh, lot of playing games. A lot of gaming. Um, getting drunk with Cody and Jeff. All right. <laughs> the usual, you know. Yeah, they're, they're good guys, man. You know. Yeah. They're, they're a lot of fun. <laughs> Well, tonight uh, we got a special guest uh, we're having over Skype. His name is David Weatherly. He is a paranormal investigator, and he has a book called The Black-Eyed Children. And uh, it's a rather new phenomenon of these children that knock on your door. You open the door, and they ask to be invited in, and they have solid black eyes. You ever hear of that before, Luke? Sure haven't. Nope. All righty. Well... We're going to get to it here, and uh, we're going to start an interview with our guest, David Weatherly, and we'll be back uh, after that. All right, well, we're here on uh, Conspiranormal, and uh, our guest tonight is David Weatherly. He is a paranormal researcher, and he has a book out about the black-eyed children. And we'd like to welcome him to the show. How are you doing tonight, David? I'm great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Hey, thank you for coming on. Uh, I've uh, just finished reading your book just a few days ago, and uh, am thoroughly impressed by it. Uh, Black Eyed Children is something that I've found really interesting. Uh, there's been a few radio shows that I've listened to that have talked about it uh, with you, and some other ones that uh, that have talked about it without you. Um, can you kind of go into who you are, and then kind of go into like the how you got into studying this this phenomenon? Sure. I've been involved with the paranormal pretty much my whole life. I started actively investigating when I was just a teenager, and this is back in the, the 70s. I'm going to show my age a little bit now. been investigating actively for over 35 years now. And, you know, back then when you said paranormal, it meant the whole gamut. So UFOs, cryptozoology, haunted sites, I've pretty much had an interest in the whole spectrum of things, uh, weird, so to speak, my whole life. And 
along the way have studied a lot of other uh, things that sort of interconnect. I've been heavily involved with some different shamanic traditions, teachers from around the world. And interesting enough, I've found that a lot of that very much connects to the paranormal in ways that uh, at first I didn't completely think about, but has this developed over the years, it's, it's become very clear. And as far as the book itself, the, the Black Eyed Children came to my attention in uh, the early 2000s. And at that point, it was something that had sort of surfaced with the genesis of the Internet, you know, when forums and chat rooms started to become popular. A couple of stories got posted about these encounters with Black Eyed Kids. The most famous one is from a guy named Brian Bethel, a journalist in Texas. And his story just sort of resonated with people for some reason. It, 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 they found it fascinating. It uh, kind of sparked a few other people to post accounts online. And because of that, it led a lot of people to believe that this was just an urban legend. And quite honestly, when I first started hearing about the cases, I thought, wow, this is really interesting. But yeah, this could be an urban legend. It's, it's kind of right on the border. Um, <clears throat> I had never spoke with Brian Bethel personally. Sure, and hadn't spoken really with weird. It. Hello? Oh, are you there? Yeah. Okay. You yeah, dropped just, out for a second there. Oh, sorry. You guys still getting me? Uh, I can hear you. <laughs> sorry. Okay. <laughs> this is something so, uh, Yeah, so, um, you know, what happened was I, I ended up meeting a gentleman whose account is detailed in the book. His name was Paul. He was a prison guard. And he was one of these characters that was a complete skeptic about anything paranormal. But he couldn't leave the topics alone either and was constantly coming back around to them. And, uh, and, you know, a lot of times, if you've been in the field a long time, you know that often those are the people that have a story that nags at them. And sure enough, that's, that was the case with this gentleman. And eventually, he, uh, we sat down for a meal together one day and, and he opened up and told me his story. And it was about an encounter with a pair of black-eyed kids that completely terrified him. And, you know, you have to put it in context. This, this man was, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of a, <laughs> a John Wayne guy. You know, he's, he's never afraid of anything. He was a martial artist, a bodybuilder, you know, prison guard. Had, had seen the worst of the worst. So he wasn't someone who was used to experiencing something that terrified him. And to put it in a situation where it was two kids that frightened him, it, it really did something to him psychologically. So I... Uh, sort of set off on a course to try to learn more about these beings and through the course of it ended up finding a lot of other people that have had encounters with them and the book kind of developed from that what is a basic uh, for our listeners that may not be familiar with it what is a basic black eyed child encounter what does it consist of Yeah, ba basically what it consists of um <clears throat> On average, we're looking at anywhere from one to, to three children that show up at people's doorsteps, at their homes, at their places of businesses. Uh, it may be, you know, at their car in a parking lot. They're uh, often in the age range of 8 to 13 years of age is what we hear the, the most. Their skin is very pale. They are wearing either clothing that looks handmade or, uh, you know, passed down, or they're wearing very 
baggy drab clothing. They usually encounter when they initially encounter the person. They usually have their their faces averted somehow. They're looking down, or they're you know they're not looking directly at the person, and they start to speak to the, for lack of a better word, to the victim, and begin to ask very strange questions. Uh, you know. Can we use the telephone? That, that's that's not so strange. But some of the other ones are, are very weird. There's one I posted on my blog recently where this black-eyed child showed up at a guy's doorstep, and his comment was, is it food time? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, the guy was obviously rather disturbed just by the comment. No one speaks like that. But this is typical for these kids. They'll, they'll say very strange sentences that uh, they repeat again and again. They don't really respond to questions other than to try to redirect and restate the things they've already stated. And their goal is to get inside the person's house or their car or their place of business, whatever the, wherever the encounter is taking place. Um, and during the course of this encounter, the victim grows very nervous and usually ends up in, in a near panic to get away from these children because the fear is so intense. What area are these uh, these interactions um, localized? Or I mean, is, is it the, is it global or? Uh, it's global at this happen? point. Uh, you know, initially when I started getting accounts, a lot of them came from the Midwest, and uh, as I started to explore the phenomena more, I realized that there were other encounters out there, and you know, the number of encounters have increased over the last few years, also. Uh, that combined with the fact that people are starting to realize they're not the only ones who have had this encounter, so they're they're a little bit more willing to talk about it and say, "Hey, what's you know what's going on here?" Because it, it's funny how many witnesses I've interviewed who never realized that someone else had encountered the same thing. You know, it's one of those situations that people. It's not like a ghost. You know, tons of people have, have you know claimed to see a ghost, but uh, these beings a large percentage of the people that have encountered them, they think that, this, well, they know this is nothing they've ever heard of before, and they think this is something that only they've encountered, so they're not sure, uh, you know, exactly what it is or what it means. What do you think that the possibility that uh, that these are, I mean, uh, some of the possibilities that, that these children may be, I've heard the hybrid idea bandied about. Um, that that seems for a lot of people, the people glean onto that one because of the whole, you know, in popular culture, the alien gray with the black eyes. Um, That's correct. The, the alien hybrid theory is the most popular, hands down, among people who are interested in the paranormal, people who've, who've heard about these encounters, and... Uh, it, it's interesting. The two most popular theories are alien hybrid, and the second most popular, I would say, is that there's something demonic. And <clears throat> again, that's something from popular culture because you know we're so used now to seeing. It's very popular in entertainment now to just depict uh, vampires and demons and these types of entities with these black eyes. Sure. And just for some reason, became a very popular effect. But. You know, one of the things that's really fascinating about the phenomenon for me is that it crosses the line in so many ways uh, into so many areas of the paranormal because these beings, they really have things, they do have things in common with alien hybrids 
that do have things in common with, with demonic entities or, or undead, classic undead mythology. They have things in common with tricksters, uh, with ghosts, you know, there's a, a wide range. And that's something I really tried to show in the book was, uh, you know, here are all the possibilities. And I, I don't push any one particular agenda in the book. I, I used it as a way to communicate different people's encounters with these beings along with uh, giving all the evidence for the different possibilities as to what they are. But I, I really sort of leave that up to people. And it, it's funny because people are passionate about what they feel these things are. I, I can't tell you how many people I've met that are adamant to me that, nope, they're alien hybrids, I know it. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, right. or nope, they're, they're demonic entities, I know they are. <laughs> yeah, it's very so. easy to, to kind of jump to a conclusion. And you do do a good job in the book of going through the, the, the different things that they possibly could be or what people rather think they could be. Mm-hmm. Are there any cases of uh, one of these black-eyed children actually uh, inflicting harm on someone? Indirectly. There are accounts of these children um, showing up, and it's it's almost as if they serve as some type of omen. Uh, They'll show up at some people's homes and immediately afterwards there'll be a death in the family or the person who encountered the kids will will suffer a, a string of very strange incidents you know misfortunes wow there is one rather disturbing case that is is covered thoroughly in the book about someone who actually invited one of these children in and yes. it's uh it's a stunning story. I actually delayed putting the book out because I was still working with this woman and wanted to get that in. You know, people are always asking, well, does anyone ever invite them in? Because I, that's what these kids are always after. They show up and, and they're saying things like, just invite us in. This won't take long. And that's creepy by itself, <laughs> you know. And then when these kids, you know, look up and you realize their eyes are solid black, um, and I guess I didn't mention that earlier. We're not t- talking just about the pupil. We're talking about the entire sclera, the entire eye is, is solid black. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. and uh, as you commented earlier, much like the gray aliens, you know, this just solid, shiny black eye. So these kids will insist on being invited in. Now, they never, I've never heard of a case of them forcing them themselves themselves into a residence or anything else. Um, there seems to be something about the fact that they have to be invited across the threshold, and that harkens back, of course, to you know classical vampire or undead lore that yeah. they can't enter someone's household without an invitation. When so I first what heard that, that's one what I thought. Case, yeah. What happened with this one particular case was that uh, a woman's 10-year-old son invited one of these children into the vehicle. And uh, rather than go into the whole story here, I'll, I'll just, because it, it is this entire chapter in the book, but you know, it does uh, result in the child becoming very ill after the black-eyed boy is vanished. And, uh, you know, the husband is in an accident. A, a string of very strange things happened to the family. And, and the 10-year-old who invited the child in, you know, he... He didn't recognize anything was 
wrong. He was just seeing a potential playmate and, you know, was very you know, childhood innocence. Just, oh, here's another kid I can play with. And uh, the, the resulting illness was very puzzling to doctors. The boy's symptoms shifted constantly. They couldn't really diagnose uh, what he had, so it was difficult to treat him. And, you know, the family ended up resulting, resorting to uh, extensive prayer and basically positive energy to get this boy healed, and, and he eventually did recover. And nobody, yeah, nobody could diagnose what it was that he had. And the the other thing that I found intriguing um, that you spoke about was that he saw the child, and he, as he, as you said, he thought that was another child, that a playmate, innocently enough. And so you kind of speculate that it's possible that children may see the black-eyed children without the black eyes, possibly. That's correct. That's correct, and that was something that was extremely intriguing about the encounter and uh you know for obvious reasons the the family is very reluctant to talk about it very extensively or or to really let their son be you know be grilled with questions but it was very fascinating that this boy didn't see anything out of the normal you know he just saw another another young boy and his mother of course questioned him and said well you know is he someone from school or you know, someone you know, and he, he no, mommy, I, I don't, I never met him before, and, you know, it was revealed in the questions that <clears throat> she said, well, why, you know, she asked him something like, why did he just get in into our car, and he said, oh, oh, no, he asked if he could get in so he could come to my house and, mm. and play. So, you know, here we have a, a 10-year-old boy who invites this black-eyed child in, and you know, it's very weird. It was an SUV, and the ten-year-old was sitting in the back behind the driver's seat. And when the mother came back out, this black-eyed child is in the middle. So he actually climbed over top of this boy and got into the middle of the seat. And uh, of course, she she experienced instant fear because she came out and jumped in her car and glanced up in the rearview mirror, and here's a black-eyed kid staring at her in the mirror. And uh, it was very shocking to her. And as far as the her son's illness, they couldn't diagnose it because every time they thought they knew what it was, the symptoms would change. You know, he was he was having a, uh, a wide range. You know, he would go from a fever to cold sweats to, you know, they had appendicitis at one point, and then at another point he, he broke out, and they thought he had the measles, and it, it was just constantly changing so that they couldn't really prescribe a treatment because they weren't sure what they were treating. And this, this went on for quite some time. Um, do you know if um, you actually is is the string of misfortunate events? Do they do they come from uh, just the encounter with the person or, or or with the kids, or do you actually have to invite them into the house for these things to happen? No, those are people that have uh, not invited the kids in. Oh, okay. That have afterwards had very strange things happen to them. Uh, now, there have been a, a couple of people that have had physical contact with the kids. And, you know, whether it's just a slight touch on the arm or or something, and they report um, that these kids are, are very cold. You know, that there's, they're very, their touch is extremely cold. And, you know, some of the folks that have had 
family members pass away, they've, they've just had an encounter with these kids at their doorstep or in the street or something. It's, it's not people that have invited them into the home. Uh, that's something that, you know, causes us to have to speculate that perhaps these kids are some kind of an omen that's showing up when bad fortune is, is coming. It's not necessarily that these kids are creating it. Uh, they just may be symbolic of this is what's about to happen. It's, it's very difficult to, you know, be sure either way, obviously. Right. I believe there was in your book as well a story of a girl that encountered them and all of a sudden, like, uh, she lost her job, her boyfriend broke up with her, she got kicked out of her house. Just a string mm-hmm. of events that happened to her after she encounters these these beings. That's correct. So uh, it does seem that there's an evil omen. Uh, you do talk a lot about the evil eye in the book, too. Um, some yes. very interesting information on that. Uh, you also had talked about that... Um, that it seemed that people that tried to debunk the black eye child experience, that they were really making some real stretches of logic that really lent to the validity (laughs) of the black eyed kids experience that they were saying that, Oh, it's just kids with contacts running around. Could you kind of address some of that, that you were the flack that you were getting from some other people about the, the debunkers? Oh, Sure. That, you know, the skeptics are always going to rant and rave. Uh, you know, a UFO could land on their house and they'd find some reason to try to yeah. debunk it. Um, <laughs> I, I had a very amusing set of exchanges with a, a, you know, a self-professed skeptic. And he was very emotional about trying to convince me that there was nothing to this and that it was all, a, you know, a grand hoax and... I, I actually, I looked into, one of the first things I did, actually, was look into some of the reasons that could possibly explain this. You know, the first thing I looked at was, uh first two things, was the possibility of, of it all being a hoax. And the other thing I looked at were the medical possibilities <clears throat> of this type of, of uh, physical appearance. And... I spoke with medical personnel, and there's really there's only a couple of diseases. They're fairly rare. They do cause distortions in the eye. They do not cause a solid black eye. Um, so, you know, pretty much was able to discard that aspect. The skeptical argument is that this is all a, a teenage fad, and that they're going out and buying these. Uh, theatrical contacts that cover the so- the entire eye, and as <laughs> basically the skeptic was explaining to me that these young kids are buying these contacts. They're going to neighborhoods where no one knows them. They're running up and knocking on people's doors and trying to frighten the people. They're somehow vanishing when the people aren't looking because that's another trait of these encounters. These these kids disappear very suddenly. So they're running around the corner, somehow vanishing from these uh, people's field of vision and going home and, uh, you know, sharing this with their kids. I mean, with their, their the kids are sharing it with their uh, friends. And, you know, the whole thing is just amusing to me. First of all, the from a logical perspective, the contacts are available. 
they're about um, oh gosh, I think they're like two hundred sixty dollars for a pair. Between really two and three hundred dollars for a pair of these things. I I spoke to a couple of dealers who specialize in these contacts. Interesting enough, the solid black contacts are not even the most popular ones. Uh, the most popular are some of the ones that are used for zombie effects and things like that. Uh, I also had an opportunity. I was at Scarefest a couple of years ago, and I, I spent some time walking around and speaking to people, adults who were actually wearing the contacts. Couldn't find any kids who were wearing them. Found a yeah. lot of adults who were wearing them. And uh, a good portion of those people really didn't like them very much. They said it limited the peripheral vision. They were uh, kind of agitating to wear uh, because they cover the entire eye. Uh, that's you know it's kind of uncomfortable. So you know it's a real far stretch to assume that a ten-year-old kid is swiping his parents' credit card to spend three hundred bucks on a set of contacts, somehow getting himself to a strange neighborhood, <laughs> knocking on a person's door, and and you know giving them this this uh, strange dialogue and running away, and for what purpose? You know, to, to further disprove it, I spoke to a lot of kids. And uh, I have kids myself, so I had them network with their friends. And I said, you know, I just want to know if, if anybody's ever heard about, you know, any teenagers or, or young kids doing this kind of thing. And it's, it was kind of a joke that I even asked to these kids because, right. you know, anybody who has kids knows that, that their focus is, you know, sending another text on their cell phone and yeah. <laughs> figuring out who's got a crush on who and everything else. Very true. <laughs> that's, that's what I was about to say is, is what a well-orchestrated event that would be if, if, you know, globally they were doing this thing and you couldn't find any kind of YouTube video or anything kind of uniting the agenda of these children. I know there's nothing in this. The skeptic who's talked about in the book tried to convince me that this was, uh, <laughs> this was actually a nationwide network that had uh, secret chat rooms on the internet where they talked about these <laughs> these uh, stunts that they were pulling. And, you know, it just got, the, the more I dialogued with this guy, the more absurd his arguments became, to tell you the truth. Yeah, and he, he just didn't want to, like you asked him to show where are these chat rooms, and he just kind of, you know, avoided the question. <laughs> And about he, the well, he did, you know. He, yeah, he he could he could never produce any of the chat rooms. Never could produce any of the, right. the supposed websites or the the clubs that were online and all these things. And it's you know, it's basically skeptics are some of the most religious people that I you know I've ever yeah. met. I mean, yeah, they're, they're so devoted to you know disproving anything that they possibly can that they they go to absurd extremes to try to say you know no this is this is why it is and. uh and then, you know, you sort of put their own tactics on them. Okay, produce evidence. You know, <laughs> you're always asking for evidence as a skeptic, but, you know, produce evidence to disclaim this. Um, they get dogmatic. I'm sorry? They get dogmatic. Yeah, absolutely. About, about their skepticism. Well, skepticism, I think, is one thing, and these people just try to just naysay and debunk. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with really trying to debunk something, but... If you try and what you're left with is something ridiculous, then most obviously it's not, you know, it, it, if it can't work, it can't work, <laughs> you know? That's correct. That's is, correct. And Adam, just so you know, I'm getting a bit of an echo from you, so that's, oh, that's why I'm having you? a hard time hearing some of your uh, statements. Okay. 
But, yeah, you know, the skeptics, I mean, I joke in the book that I, you know, skeptics don't believe anything. I don't believe in skeptics. And, you know, it's it's one thing to, uh, the issue is that they approach everything with an agenda. Right. And I think when it comes to the paranormal, that you should not approach it with an agenda. Uh, you know, you should just go in and, you know, if there's a rational explanation. Leave your mind great, open to you know, possibilities. Exactly, exactly. But, you know, I, I think you have to have an open mind either way. Yeah, maybe this is something, you know, maybe this is a cryptid. Maybe this is, you know, something right. else. But maybe maybe this is the explanation. Is there any anything among the uh, speculations, maybe these, these kids are, have been cursed at some point in their life? If they're if they're what if if they've been cursed at some point, I you know I, I think I've heard about every speculation to explain these things. Uh, that's not something that I really went into too much. Uh, there's a little bit of of that related to the study of the evil eye. You know the the uh, concept of the evil eye is that a person is born with this uh, malocchio, this energy that can transmit through the eyes. And some of the, <clears throat> I have a lot of Sicilian friends, and there are some of them that believe that these kids are just, um, that they're either demonic or that they're kids that have been born with this evil eye. Huh. So that that's probably the closest to what you're asking that I've encountered in, in right. the research. I'm, I'm uh, unfamiliar with that, too. I, I haven't heard of the evil eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it's if you go back and you know you start talking to a lot of people from the from old Europe, you'll find that the evil eye can manifest in a, in a number of ways. You know, it can be the person can have a normal looking eye, or they can have. Uh, I did find a few accounts where people talked about someone with the evil eye that did have a solid black eye. Uh, mm-hmm. It's also sometimes a very bright blue eye is identified as has the evil eye, and on occasion you'll find also. Uh, someone with red eyes is supposedly yeah. uh, a person with the evil eye. Uh, David, are you hearing me better now? Yeah, that's better. Okay. I think Luke and I were too close to each other. Sorry about that. Um, Luke, did you want to continue anything? Uh, what you um, well, you, you just mentioned the, the bright blue eye. I guess uh, that could be explained away as uh, a, a loss of pigment. I don't know the disorder name right now, but... Uh, you, you know, like low pig, pigment in the iris. Yeah, and there's there's all kinds of reasons for uh, you know changes in color in the eye. You know, a person, right? Uh, a person or an animal who's an albino will have different colored eyes. Um, so yeah, the pigments yeah. can do all kinds of strange things. And so uh, you'll you'll get the red with albinos, but never never solid black. I mean, like you said, there's no medical condition that actually causes that. No, there's a couple of there's a couple of medical conditions that will distort the pupil. There's uh, an effect called a blown pupil that makes the pupil enlarge, but it retains the natural color that it has. So if you have right. a, a green eye and it enlarges, it's going to stay green, uh, but you'll still see whites of the eyes. And hmm. what's common in these cases is that you never, you know, the people are stunned because these kids don't have any whites in their eyes at all. Right. Do you see a correlation? We we had mentioned this earlier about uh, popular culture. Uh, do you see a correlation of these reports? I, I remember in the 90s, 
uh, watching the X Files, and oh, yeah. if anyone's familiar <laughs> with that, if you know when the um, uh, the alien virus would infect someone, their eyes would go completely black, and that was kind right. of the first time that I remember seeing that. And you've seen it in quite a few uh, other things, like the show Supernatural. Whenever someone's possessed by a demon, their mm-hmm. eyes go, you know, solid black. Do you see a correlation, possibly? Uh, like you said, that the first case was in the in the late '90s, somewhere around there, with the Brian Bethel experience, his experience. Is could there be any correlation to some kind of archetype, like the Jungian archetype, going on? Oh, I definitely think that's a possibility. Uh, you know, one of the things I did when I first started researching this topic was uh, I wanted to know if the genesis of these beings was with the Internet. I, I mean, I was a huge X-Files fan, too, and I, I remember quite well oh, the, yeah. you know, the black oil alien, as they called it, that would right, cause right. the eye to go solid black. And, um, you know, it was one of the things I first thought of when I heard about these cases. So what I did was I set out to really uh, try to discover if there were cases that predated, uh, first of all, the Internet. And then as I researched it, I wanted to know if it predated television also. And what I found was there are cases that are much older, and uh, some of those are covered in the book. The, the reason that this has become so fixated in the mind, what happened was with the uh, – cases that sprang up on the internet, we were also given this um, this term to identify them, the black-eyed child or the black-eyed kid. Uh, it's also called a BEK sometimes for short. And what I found by looking at the older cases was that there were these beings with black eyes, but that wasn't the focal point of the encounter. Um, the focal point of the encounter was defined by the culture of the time or place. And so, for instance, there's there's a case in the book from the 1950s in a rural area, uh, you know, basically a farming community. And this young man, he encountered a black-eyed kid. But although that was a component of the story, that was not the focus because everyone believed that this uh, young man, his name was Harold, everyone believed Harold had met the devil. Yeah. Because, you know, their their culture and their mindset at the time was, oh, that's that's the devil. That's something demonic. So, you know, I, I definitely think that this is a much older phenomenon than people commonly realize. But I also do believe that we certainly have a cultural component coming in and influencing this. And, and as you're stating, you know, this has become a very popular thing in oh, yeah. uh, entertainment now to see these beings with solid black eyes. And it, it's there's probably a dozen television shows at least that it's uh, manifested on. So it, it's, um, you know, it's a combination of things. I, I think that people grab a hold of something that they think is, is creepy or spooky and they in, insert it into the entertainment but it's also really resonating with people, and people immediately identify, oh, this person's eyes just turned black. They're a vampire, or they're right. a demon, you know, fill in the blank. So uh, it's a really interesting thing. That's, that's, uh, it, it's like we're watching it, this archetype uh, develop and form even more, which is fascinating. Uh, about the Herald case, the, the thing, one of the things I find compelling in that was that he... 
you know, he had the same reaction as other people did, uh, that feeling of fear. And he runs inside his house and he, you know, of course his parents, you know, they can, his parents can tell he's freaking out. But he says that he could hear after that something that sounded like a bobcat or a mountain lion. Yeah. And that's just yeah, he, frightening. He, uh, he described it as the, the screech of a bobcat. And, <clears throat> you know, there's a handful of uh, other aspects to these beings that we find, not in all the cases, but in, uh, you know, uh, enough of a percentage of them to make it very curious. That, that noise uh, that Harold described as a screech of a bobcat, I've heard that in a few other cases. And, um, <clears throat> you know, if for anyone who's ever heard a, a bobcat, or even if you, you haven't, you know, if you're interested, Google it online and listen to it. It's, it's a very strange sound. Um, Luke can do that real well, by the way, <laughs> just to let you know. Yeah, I'm not going to blow your eardrums right now, but it is pretty horrifying. I'll give you that. <laughs> um, uh, well, everybody's got to have a talent, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, an- another thing that manifests in some of these cases uh, is this foul odor. Yes. And people describe it as the worst thing they've ever smelled. You know, it's just this horrible stench um, and it will sometimes linger in the area that the encounter has taken place sometimes for days yeah. so you know there are some other odd things that show up in these encounters that um, just just adds to the mystery of it all essentially I mean you know the the foul odor obviously again is connected with uh, classical undead or demonic lore is is the odor kind of like a corpse smell? Yeah, it's it's uh, variously described as you know sulfur or rotten eggs or um, something rotting. Um, you know, I've, I've, everybody uses their own terminology, but they're all saying basically the same thing. It's right. the smell of of rot or decay. Right. I had another question for you too. Um, uh, what about ethnicity among the children? Uh, are all, have all the cases just shown them to be Caucasian or middle? I mean, do you have Middle Eastern or? You know, the bulk of them, the children appear to be Caucasian, and uh, the the skin is often described as being pale or pasty. There are a few cases where people will um, will say that the kids looked Mediterranean, uh, that they had sort of an olive-toned skin. Now, that goes into a whole other area that they have things in common with, and that's the men in black that often show up after UFO encounters. Mm. Uh, but the, the skin itself, you know, some people even describe it as artificial-looking. Uh, one of the things that I have found very curious about it, because I have a long set of questions I go through with people when they've had one of these encounters, uh, I have never heard someone that noticed any kind of a blemish or mole or anything else on these children. Now, most of them are falling into that range where, you know, they should have some acne, you know, there should be a couple of pimples here and there, uh, freckles because they're fair skin. No, we never hear that. It's always just uh, uh, plain, clear, pasty skin. So that's something that... Uh... Is that something? I think that's something that you didn't put in the book. I don't remember reading that. Is that something that you kind of have left out? 
Uh, I think it's mentioned some. I, I um, yeah, it's. I talk about it in, in, you know, the the basics of the kids. Um, yeah. It uh, it's something we're still kind of keeping an eye on as the cases continue to come in, so to speak. Is it, so does it seem that the cases uh, seem to multiply as, as time has gone on? You know, I think part of it is that people have become uh, slowly more aware that other people have experienced this phenomena, so they begin to to communicate and to come forth. Yeah, honestly, you know, I've been on a few shows talking about it, and it, it's funny. I was on Darkness Radio a couple of years ago and talked about yeah. this topic, and I I had no idea how much there was out there because you know afterwards I was just inundated with with emails and. Uh, you know, people contacted me saying, oh, oh my God, I, somebody else has experienced this. I had no idea. <laughs> they were the I mean, first that I, uh, well, I, I had heard about them um, from another site, but uh, they were the they were the first ones that I can really remember that uh, really got me into the whole topic. It was mm-hmm. just so uh, strange and bizarre. And, and I think people are attracted to it because it's fairly, fairly new. It seems oh, to yeah, be a new thing. Uh, two things that you mentioned in the book that I found interesting um, uh, that these beings could be uh, was both the jinn, which is something I've studied some, and also uh, tulpas or thought forms. I know you've studied a lot about the tulpas. Mm-hmm. If you could kind of go into both of those, um, those aspects of that. Of the... Sure. Well, the, the jinn... For people who aren't familiar with that term, you know, it's been westernized as genie. And, you know, we in the United States, we sort of have a, the Disney version of, you know, the, the chubby little guy that comes out of a lamp and grants wishes and, uh, <laughs> you know, does, does good things for the guy who found the lamp. But the reality is that the jinn, if you study Middle Eastern um, text and mythology, you'll find that, this is a race of beings that is sort of akin to a, a, um, a whole other race, just like the angelic beings are. And they live in a dimension that's just sort of outside of ours. They are they have their own hierarchy. They, for the most part, are, are not really uh, you know hip on dealing with human beings. They're um, tricksters they're uh, you know they have a whole agenda of their own and they're working towards their own sinister ends a lot of them are and the thing is is that the jinn are able to take a lot of different forms so they may manifest you know there's people out there that the whole study of the jinn has become really popular in the last couple of years and there's people out there saying that the jinn are responsible for everything from, you know, aliens to Bigfoot sightings, uh, which I, I personally don't buy into. They could be responsible for some of the black-eyed kid cases because it's it's very uh, curious when you start looking at some of the traditional jinn mythology and what they're able to do and correlate that with some of these uh, black-eyed kid encounters. Now, the tulpas, uh, tulpa is essentially a type of thought form and that's actually the focus of my next book that'll be out uh, later this year, oh, uh, cool. specifically about tulpas and thought forms. Uh, tulpa is a Tibetan term, and 
essentially it is a being that has been created from pure thought. And this process is something that was taught in the ancient Tibetan system, uh, and it would go through stages. So once you knew the proper meditations and uh, approach to creating this being, you would start creating it, you would start to, uh, you know, visualize it in your mind. Eventually, it would start to take on a misty form. So, you know, we're looking at something akin to a ghost. As the process continues, that form becomes more and more solid until the being itself is completely formed. Sounds kind of feed on energy. Sounds sort of like a homunculus. Uh, sort of, sort of, except, uh, you know, a homunculus is more related to ceremonial magic and is structured by building a physical form with the hands and creating it. Uh, instilling it with light, similar to what a golem, uh, you know, the the classic golem story. Right. But no, we're talking about something that is is created purely from the power of the mind. Okay. So so there is no uh, there's no base to actually start with. They they create the substance as well as uh, the the uh, spirit that possesses it. And that's correct. It's it's uh, from pure visualization initially. Okay. There's a case so that I can pure mental energy. There's a case that I can think of uh, that was a college experiment, and you may know what I'm what I'm what I'm speaking of, David. Uh, where they came, the they did an experiment in college, where the, a group came up with a ghost, and supposedly things started to happen that were attributed to that ghost, and I suppose that's kind of more of a thought form uh, aspect to it as well. Yeah, there's a couple of those cases, actually. Um, I'm not sure. You may be referring to the Philip experiment. Yes, yeah, that's it, the Philip experiment. That took place in Toronto. And, uh, you know, the whole, <clears throat> the whole groundwork for that was it was a group of people who were interested in uh, psychic communication, uh, Ouija boards. And what they did was they created a, uh, a fictitious personality named Philip, Philip who... Uh, they built an entire uh, life story around. And as they continue to have their meetings, they begin to try to communicate with Philip. Eventually, he responded. And there's there's some fascinating material out there on that. There's a, a documentary that I believe is still available on YouTube. It's about 10 or 15 minutes long. Anybody that's interested in thought forms or any of this kind of material, I encourage you to go and look at it because it, it's... It's pretty mind-boggling. These people um, had a great deal of success of communicating with Philip and getting information from him. Uh, But the experiment went on for some time. They never pushed it to the point where they asked him to take physical form or or focused on him taking physical form. They did experience a lot of other phenomena, you know, tables moving, chairs moving, um, a lot of uh, classical seance type of phenomena manifested from those experiments the the thought the uh the experiment in itself was the basis for something that i participated in called the pearl experiment that took place uh, with a good friend of mine bill murphy from sci-fi's factor fate yes uh did something called structured something called the pearl experiment in california the glen tavern inn and 
the idea was the same. They created a, a fictitious woman named Pearl who they then encouraged people to go and attempt to communicate with. Now, one of the differences with this experiment was they didn't really tell people exactly what was going on or reveal that Pearl was fictitious. Uh, they just let people go and try to communicate with her in this haunted uh, hotel. And the result of this experiment was a photograph that no one has been able to explain of a ghostly image in a mirror who is wearing the exact clothing that Pearl wears in the description in her story. Uh, this, this photograph has been analyzed by numerous specialists in the field. It's been analyzed in depth by a CSI photography specialist. No one can figure out any rational explanation for this photograph. It kind of sounds um, like, so you would say that they, in some way, created that being, knowing well, that, like, yeah. yeah, like they pull their yeah. resources together, somehow the power of the mind creates something semi-physical in a way. That's correct. Another possibility I was thinking that uh, maybe a spirit who kind of fit the description could it come into a sort of uh, mental placeholder that's been created by like a mass consciousness. That's a possibility too. Yeah, absolutely. But you, you know, you have to start thinking about um, one. We're we're still learning about the power of the human mind and what we're each capable of doing as far as. You know, altering our physical bodies, our energy field, and the things around us. And when you start looking at some of the uh, principles in these old shamanic teachings, you know, like these old Tibetan teachings, and apply that to some of the things that went on in the modern world. You know, I talk about in, in the book that's coming out later this year, uh, I might get a little bit of flack about it because there's a couple of sections in there that I talk about some, you know, so-called famous ghosts. And you know the thing is, is that some of these very well-known hauntings don't have any basis in in history. You know, there's no um, evidence to support that a specific ghost is at a particular location. We have to start looking at the fact. Well, this is strange because, um, and and I'll I'll give you an example. Are you guys familiar with the Myrtles Plantation in Louisiana? Yeah, I am. Yeah. One of my favorite is beautiful place. You know, it's, it's obviously has a lot of spirit activity, but what's the origin of some of that activity? You know, Chloe is the most well-known spirit there, but uh, there's no historical basis for her actually having been there or the whole story unfolding as it does in the mythology of the Myrtles. But you know, people have actually experienced EVPs from Chloe, they've, they've, there's a photograph that's never been debunked uh, that appears to be Chloe standing between the, the main house and the, and the, um, you know, the secondary wing. And is that a result of, as you're saying, a spirit taking the form of Chloe because it was already there? Or is that the result of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people going there 
with the mindset that they want to communicate with Chloe. Mm-hmm. You know, how much energy does that add each time? And I've been there during tourist season. I've seen, you know, dozens and dozens of people pouring in and out of that yeah, it's place, a popular all place, hoping to catch a glimpse of Chloe. Yeah. It reminds me of, um, I, I think back to like Holy Relics, that also the idea that so many people have gone to see a, a holy relic somewhere that they just, it, it basically becomes imbued with this power. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, there's, you know, back in the day there was enough wood that supposedly uh, came from the one true cross. Right, right. Built the Eiffel Tower with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's the same principle. <laughs> if the black But then on he- the other hand, you know, we have a situation where, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no. Oh. If the black-eyed kids are tulpas, why would we manifest something that 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 essentially would would scare someone so much or cause so much pain or, or misfortune? Well, that's a whole other area we didn't go into. But uh, yeah. the traditional Tibetan teachings say that a tulpa, once in physical form, can break loose from the controls of its creator and take on a, essentially a life and an energy of its own. That being the case, it it will take on its own agenda. And, you know, one of the things that these tulpas need, and they don't really need substance in the way that we do, but they do need to continue to be fed and they, they feed on energy. Now, you know, what's the the highest spike in energy is often fear. It's very curious to me that in a lot of these encounters or with these black-eyed kids, the goal seems to be achieved once this person is extremely frightened, once the victim is, is at that point of, of panic and extreme fear of these kids leave. So... You know, there's a possibility if they're tulpas that they're feeding on that energy that is, has been created from the encounter. They, yeah, they they feed off of it, which is something that I've heard from other. Uh, about a, it, it does make it very similar to vampires in a way of not necessarily that that you're taking blood, but you're taking energy from people, um, like mental vampires sure. as well. Uh, I wanted to ask you, since we have you, um, that you are a paranormal investigator. Um, we'll put you on the spot a little bit. What What are your thoughts about um, the current state of paranormal right now with all the shows and, and, and all that? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's, a, <laughs> that's a loaded question. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, the, the shows, um, that's a real two-edged sword as far as I'm concerned. I When I got involved in the field, you know, it, it was extremely difficult to talk to people about these topics because, you know, they either considered it a joke or they just didn't want to talk about it. It was sort of taboo. You know, you really had to, um, <laughs> it, it, it was, it was a lot of work to get stories out of people and to get, uh, you know, interviews from people who had encountered strange things. Sure. And, now we're experiencing sort of the reverse of that. I mean, my God, you, you know, you walk into a party and let somebody know you're a paranormal investigator and they're lined up 
because they all have a story. Yeah. Um, I think that the, the glut of the shows has, on the positive side, has made paranormal sort of hip. It's, it's made it, uh, you know, comfortable for people to talk about. They're more likely to voice their, uh, encounters, you know, and to tell their, their, uh, you know, to give their accounts. There's a downside to that too, naturally. And that's that, you know, Everybody thinks they have a story. <laughs> it might have been right, you know, right. a shutter banging on the house. Suddenly becomes Uncle George coming back for a visit, and you know we we get the whole other extreme. The biggest issue I have with the shows is that it's created this. Uh, oh boy, it's created this culture of quote ghost hunters, which I personally don't like that term, and. Sure. You know, there, there's literally hundreds of people running around out there with a, a $20 K2 meter and, you know, matching T-shirts, and, and they've dubbed themselves ghost hunters. And they're, these are people that are going into other people's homes. You know, they're they're professing their knowledge, and they've watched three episodes of Ghost Adventures. <laughs> and it, it's it's very it's disgusting to me, you know, because these, these people, um, you know, they're just a discredit to the field. And... You know, it's nothing like running into somebody that uh, you ain't really be going on a rant about this. So just stop me if you want to. Oh, I, no. You know, I've encountered so <laughs> many. People. I travel all over the country. You know, I've met so many of these people, and you meet these teams. They have to have a matching T-shirt. It has to rhyme with tap somehow, and sure. they each need their own title. You know, you know how many certified demonologists I've met, and I'm sorry, there's no such thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah unless you went to. Unless you're a priest and you studied at the Vatican, you know, you're not certified right, right. in demonology in any way. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's it's crazy. <laughs> it's and become, it's sort of this, you know, this boom time that we're in with the paranormal. It's become a subculture. I'll stop now. <laughs> it, it's, it's really become its own subculture. It has become a subculture. In many ways. Yeah, it has. It well, has. How, how is a demonologist different? And, and than... like any other. Go ahead. Oh, go how's ahead. A demonologist, what? How how is a demonologist different than a uh, paranormal investigator? I I'm not really familiar with the difference there. I mean, oh, there's there's people running around calling themselves demonologists, professing uh, expertise in the study of demonic entities, right? And you know, professing that they know how to you know expel demons and perform exorcisms oh, and everything else. I see. When they really don't. When they really they don't. really don't. Yeah. yeah. They're just trying to take a more practical approach to uh you know uh, like priesthood, like the traditional method of exorcisms and stuff. Well, they're not even priests. But, yeah, that's not just the, you know, it's the people and it's they're not, they're not even priests. It, it's it's just it's a lot of ego gratification. Is what it is. Right, you know, right. Trying yeah. to, yeah, I got you. Uh, dub themselves an expert in something and, and place themselves above everyone else. And you know, these are the same people that that walk into every situation and immediately, you know, sense the demonic or, or evil entities or you know, yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, Lucifer's in in every bathroom across the country. Apparently, <laughs> I, I've been to so many quote unquote paranormal conventions. Um, 
a lot of them dealing with oh, yeah. quote unquote ghost hunting. And it seems to me a lot of people that I have met, um, give or take a few, they're pretty honest. But it seems to me that a lot of people that I have met are either interested in, they're, they're really interested in getting on television or having some kind of yeah. event with taps or, or, uh, or the uh, Ghost Adventures <laughs> guys, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah and you know, the thing is, is that, I mean, I, I you know, I was uh, a, just a, a voracious reader when I was young. You know, I, I mean, I read all the, the Hans Holzer, the, everything that was available, yeah. you know, at the time. And, you know, most of these people running around, my God, they've, they've never, they don't even know who Hans Holzer or, you know, is or any right. of the other classical people that explored you know the paranormal or parapsychology and and as a result they don't have any basis you know um they asked them how many books they've read on the field and they say well you know i've seen every episode of ghost adventures (laughs) (laughs) okay that's great but uh (laughs) there's a meme out there you know you gotta understand yeah yeah. There's there's a meme out there right now yeah. that I've seen where it has uh, uh, paranormal investigators from different decades, and some of them I I don't know. Uh, you know, <laughs> Arthur Conan Doyle is in there. Uh, Brad Steiger is in there, I think. Um, Dame excuse right. me, but one of the guys that was really instrumental in um, the road intruders. And, and then at the very end in the 2010s, there's a a certain Jersey Shore looking guy. And it says what happened on the bottom. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen I've seen that. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, you guys know who John Tenney is, right? Uh, I'm not familiar with him. No. Uh, okay, you'd you'd love his stuff. Look him up sometime on on Facebook. I mean, he's kind of, um, you know, the same mindset that you know we just uh, have all of these people focused on stardom and and yeah. I, I remember talking with him a couple of years ago, and I, I told him, I said, you know, John, I said, the problem is, is paranormal doesn't need rock stars. It really doesn't. And that's what uh, that's what the subculture is sort of uh, creating. And as a result, you know, it's, it's okay. You know, if you want to really love one of the shows and, and you're crazy over the people that are in it, okay, that's, that's great. But, you know, keep your head and understand that, um, you know, they're all just people. And... And I'm not completely down on the shows, like I said before. And I, the truth is, I know people on on most all the shows, and some of them are really great people. Uh, but you know, just understand that what you're seeing when you watch, you know, 40 minutes worth of television after commercials, you're seeing an edited down version of you know an investigation that was conducted purely for the sake of of filming for television. Right. So, right. You know, it's it's not. Uh, it's not like somebody going in and, and seriously researching and studying an area and, and trying to get to the bottom of what's going on there. And you were probably doing it back in the days um, before, like, Internet was around, where you had to go to libraries and you had to cooperate all your evidence. And and it, it, it oh, was yeah. probably really, I mean, you, you, you know, a lot of time went into doing it, and now it's kind of like, well, and, you know, that's the result of the technology and it makes things easier, but... Yeah, I I don't know. It's uh, it's been something that I've seen that that yeah, has bothered first, me. My first EVPs were done on a reel to reel recorder. So, oh wow, <laughs> if that tells you anything. 
<laughs> you know, we didn't have this whole glut of uh, equipment to cart around. You know, it was uh, paper and pen, and, and you asked a lot of questions, and, you know, maybe a camera, and, you know, you, you got down and investigated. It was uh, it's how it used to be. You had to use all your senses and everything else. Right. And, you know, thoroughly researched the area, and, <clears throat> you know, we just really, uh, like you say, and there are, you know, there are some outstanding groups across the country. You know, I know a lot of sure. people from coast to coast, and there are some groups that are doing solid research and really good work and, and you know, moving the field forward. And, uh, you know, there are these other fly-by-night groups that, <laughs> you know, they've got a cool logo, but you probably won't see them around in another year or two. When yeah, the, you know, they all the got matching jackets. bad is done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Luke had it. Yeah. We had an interesting experience. He got to experience a, uh, a paranormal convention with me last year. So <laughs> <he> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> some very interesting stories there. But uh, David, um, oh yeah, they can be kinda... a lot of fun, or they can be oh, a yeah. madhouse. You know. Oh yeah, we're kind of coming to the end. Um, Luke, is there anything you want to add, or anything you want to ask about the subject? Hmm. Not that I could think of. I mean, you pretty much covered it. Yeah. Do you want them to knock on your door like you would like to invite things to come into your life? <laughs> well, uh, I'm not sure. You know, I I definitely would like to push for some kind of experience to happen, you know, because I'm kind of void of all, all of these experiences I keep hearing from people. But, um <laughs> But yeah, that's that's not one that I'd openly invite. <laughs> I don't, I'm not willing to be cursed. But then again, with your neighbors, I mean, you, you probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Right? Yeah, it, all the drugs, <laughs> you know, the drugs will turn your eyes black. <laughs> anyway, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dave, we want to thank you for coming on. Uh, can you uh, tell our listeners where they can get your book and also how to contact you or where your 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 website, your web presence is? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can catch me. At uh, my blog, which is two crows paranormal.blogspot.com, and that's uh, spell out the two T W O crows like the bird paranormal.blogspot.com. Um, you'll see recent stories and things I'm working on on there, as well as a uh, link to my Facebook page. You can friend me on Facebook, I've got a Twitter feed that's listed on there too. And um, <clears throat> there's also uh, a site from my book called leprechaunpress.com. You can get it directly from there. Those are signed copies. If it makes any difference to anyone, it's also available on amazon.com. And I've got appearances all over the place this year. I've still got uh, Wake Up Now conference coming up in Albuquerque next month. I've got, uh, I'll be at the Scarefest this year speaking on the Black Eyed Kids. That's in Kentucky. Kind of in you guys' neighborhood. Um, and I'll be at the huge Paradigm Symposium in oh, Minneapolis. Yes. That's going to be an incredible event. Uh, Eric Von Donneken hasn't spoken in this country for, I don't know, somewhere between 7 and 10 years, and he's going to be there at this event, uh, along with a whole host of people from Ancient Aliens, uh, Philip Copens, uh, Georgia Sukulis, uh, Bill Burns. It's, it's just an incredible show, so check those out. I also write for Intrepid Magazine, which is uh, intrepidmag.com. And we've had one of your so colleagues... We've had one of your colleagues on, uh, Micah Hanks. He came on our show about, uh, about, uh, Oh, yeah, Mike, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Very good guy. 
Well, we want to thank you for coming on and stay on the he's line. He's a good friend. Uh, the, the mouth of the south. Oh, know. yeah, the mouth <laughs> of the south. Yeah, he's great. He was a great guest. Um, but stay on the line for, for us, David. We want to just talk to you a little bit. But uh, we'll, we're going to take a little break, and we'll come back. Uh, All right, and we are back. Uh, Luke, what did you think of that interview, man? What did you think of David Weatherly? I, uh, I, I, it was pretty interesting stuff. Like I said, uh, I never heard of it before. Um, I, it made me think of like the time I was watching um, History Channel and they were talking about the the Grim Reaper guys who had the black eyes and were underneath the the, the uh, hooded capes and they had some kind of staff that was spraying out what what they said could have been the plague, like spreading the black plague. Uh, I don't know why, but that, that's what I thought of when. Yeah, and like I said when we were in the interview, uh, what I instantly thought of was the X Files and uh, the show Supernatural with the solid black eyes. It's such a motif now in in film. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of stories in that book. Uh, I mean, it's it's just crazy stuff. And one of the ones that we didn't get a chance to talk about was one that uh, I don't know for some reason got under my skin. Uh, was this? And it, it really wasn't a black-eyed child. It was more like a black-eyed adult. And this lady and her husband go to a rest stop, and you know they go in do their business, whatever. And then she comes out, and there's this. Uh, kind of frail skinny looking lady just sitting there staring at her with solid black eyes this is from x-files or this, no, no, is, actual... this is this is in his book this oh. is david redley's book uh, for some reason that just got under my skin it makes me think of um That's well creepy. it makes me think of things that are around us that we normally don't ever see uh, like there's a denizens of a denizens of the night in a way. Yeah. Like us, this whole world that uh, that is probably around us, and whether that when, be when everyone goes to vampires, sleep. yeah, something's going on. Uh, another story in that book was, uh, you know, from a policeman that goes up and uh, he's got a domestic violence call, probably in your neighborhood, Luke, <laughs> and. Uh, Oh, you know, he gets finished with the call. He goes up to the, uh, he sees these two little kids standing at this door. Okay, he goes up to these kids and he says, um, well, what are you kids doing? And they just look at him and they say, well, they won't let us in. So they're standing there at the door, obviously have been knocking on the door. And he notices that, you know, they've got black eyes. Well, he doesn't think much of it at first. He thinks it probably is just kind of a trick of the light. Uh, he turns around and knocks on the door. Uh, you know, like the police tend to do, knocking on the door and yelling, you know, police open up. And then all of a sudden, he the, the old lady opens the door and says, Well, uh, what do you want, officer? And he says, Well, you know, there's these two children. He turns around. And the kids are gone, and you know there was no way for them to have gotten a, a, you know away that quickly. Right. Um, he asked the lady, you know, he says, "Well, do you have any kids?" And he says, "You know," she says, "No, sir, I don't have any kids." And two aspects of that story that I think are interesting is, you know, here's a policeman saying this. You know, generally, you know, you might think the town drunk is just uh, seeing is seeing things, but you know, policemen people tend to look up to as a pillar of society, and 
look up to them as you know fairly honest uh the other thing that disturbs me is that this lady's asleep they're sitting there knocking on the door and i'm like have i been asleep and they've been knocking on my door you know it's kind of crazy <laughs> yeah um i i do kind of have a uh a, a negative thought toward all of this and uh for me if someone if some kids like that came up to my door i would just question them so much that i i would just want to get something out of them because we were talking about pranksters you know kids who may be pranksters with the contacts in and all that which is very unlikely and i know that you know that's they're kind of rare kind of hard to get a hold of and the, like he said they're expensive um but I I would not have stopped questioning if I thought it it you know it was po- possibly legit you know if it was for real I would I would have kept on questioning the kids sure. until I got something out of them. Sure, it, it, but one of the things is though is that these people would probably do that in a normal situation and 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 have asked questions. But the thing is that they're they're overcome by this instant feeling of fear. And there seems to be a hip, hip, hypnotic element to like wow. the kid's voice too. Yeah. That's another thing. You know, I'm sure they're very soft spoken and they talk like this. Let us in your house. We just want to come in and read. That's actually a quote from an actual story. Wow. They asked a guy to come in and read. You know how many kids <laughs> were asking me to come <laughs> read at my house? Yeah, that's weird. But anyway, uh, probably one of the, I think. Up to now, one of the best interviews that we've done. Um, but uh, I think I'm about ready to call it a night. And uh, as we, we mentioned before with uh, David, that uh, Luke has a very interesting talent. <laughs> so uh, why don't you take us out with that and uh, join us next week. Uh, we will be, or next time, we will be talking to a, a, um, a haunted uh, survivor. Someone that has um, endured an extreme haunting in their house. And uh, we'll be reading the book soon, so I'll do my homework to, to ask this person. But uh, Luke, take us out, and uh, we want to thank everybody for listening to Conspiranormal! <laughs>
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. 